Hello, everybody. This is Andre, and you are on the Marketing Innovation Podcast Show. Our special guest for today is Jay Haynes, who is the founder and CEO of Tribe.com, the first and only jobs-to-be-done software for product marketing and sales teams. And today we will discuss about the importance of team alignment in promoting B2B and B2C products, as well as the jobs-to-be-done method and how you can apply it within your business to increase your return. So without further ado, hi, James. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? How's the day going? Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's go. I guess... Um, First of all, can you tell us a bit about your background and where you're coming from? Because you have an impressive background in entrepreneurship and leadership and marketing. So I think it would be really good to give our listeners here a bit of uh, context into you as a as a person. Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, I hope it's an interesting story. Um, so I started my career about 30 years ago uh, when I graduated college. Uh, in the early 90s, right into a big recession. <laughs> People don't remember that, but it was the big SNL crisis in the US. And, um, and so I, I really spent 10 years in the financial world, in the private equity industry, buying companies. Um, and that was pretty, fairly interesting. And it was a great you know, business education. Uh, but basically, back in the 1990s, you could buy companies and use a lot of debt and cut costs, which is still you know, a big chunk of the private equity industry today. Uh, but I was always interested in the innovation question. And we we never did anything with the companies that was innovation at all uh, in product or marketing. Um, it was really financial engineering. Um, in fact, one of the companies we bought was Steinway & Sons, you know, the kind of famous piano company. And I, I always like to joke that Steinway is literally the least innovative company on the planet. They, they're making the same product they made 150 years ago and they're selling the same product. So, so that got me interested in innovation. Um, so I went back to business school and then worked uh, in product management and really started to learn, okay, what's the state of art, art for product marketing and product management and innovation, which obviously leads to sales. And, and, uh, and I started a couple companies that had some successes and failures. Um, and then, you know, so I spent that kind of next 10 years in the world of, of innovation, um, you know, at big companies and startups, and really trying to figure out, okay, how does the world innovate? And I worked with, you know, Sand Hill Road, Silicon Valley, you know, investors and large companies. And there really just wasn't any good methods out there. There's nothing that's really scientific. Um, and so that's when about a decade ago, I really got interested in jobs to be done in innovation. And I'd studied with Clay Christensen, you know, who was a big proponent of jobs to be done and jobs theory. Uh, he passed away last year, unfortunately. But you know, he's the famous Harvard Business School professor who talked a lot about disruption, which he's really known for. But really, the last part of his career, he focused on jobs to be done innovation. And I got really interested in that because it's just more systematic way to think about product management and product marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um... Tell us how you got into Thrive. So maybe some of the businesses that you founded or you were part of in the more recent past, and then how these led you to funding Thrive. Yeah, great. So uh, I'll tell you kind of an interesting story uh, about a company. I was actually brought in by the venture investors. Um, the company had been struggling. And the idea was, uh, there's a big opportunity for what's happening in distributed networking. This was the, the era of Napster. Mm-hmm. And um, 
people kind of forget if you're in, unless you're old, as old as I am that back then in the early 2000s the cost of streaming anything over the internet what we're doing right now would be ridiculously expensive you couldn't do it uh, so we looked at distributed networking and we thought that we could come up with a device um, that would enable you to collect videos essentially it was uh, like a TiVo for web videos. Mm-hmm. Now it was interesting that the company did okay, you know. But was interesting. Uh, what happened after that was this other company launched called YouTube, <laughs> and YouTube was obviously enormously successful. So that got me thinking. Well, how did we not approach this correctly? What problem were we trying to solve for customers? And that's what we didn't really figure out. And that's whether you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, really getting your team across product marketing and sales to agree on what problem you're solving for your customer. Obviously, that's the most important thing you can do. Um, and that's what we we should have done better, but I didn't have jobs to be done or jobs theory as a method back then. And that's what really got me interested in jobs theory and, and jobs to be done. And I and so I did work in um, in this industry you know, around jobs to be done. And what it does is it creates a lot of data. Without a doubt, you're going to get a lot of customer data. And if you combine that customer data with like segmentation and market sizing and competitive analysis, use and messaging analysis, et cetera, go to market planning, you get an enormous amount of data. And so about seven years ago, that's when I started Thrive. Because if you're trying to make decisions with a lot of data, whether you're on a product team or a marketing team, software is very good at that. That's why you know software exists because um, there's so much data in the world and we all need to make decisions. So that... That's really how I started Thrive. Was recognizing, okay, job suite is a very effective method, and we can talk about you know what it is and why. Um, but it creates a lot of data, and the last thing product and marketing teams want is a more PowerPoint presentations and the Excel spreadsheets that email around, right? So we wanted to put this data together that could really coordinate product marketing and sales on the customer. And you can think about what Jobsy done does is it takes the phrase, you know, being customer focused, which every company wants to be customer focused these days, which is a great thing. And whether you're a startup or Fortune 500 company, you need to be customer focused. Okay. But what does that mean? <laughs> well, starting with you might have to get a lot of data about customers and that's where Jobsy done come in. And then you want to keep that customer focus all through your product road mapping process that your product management teams are working on all through your product marketing processes when you're when your marketing teams are focused on you know messaging and go to market you know etc and even through to your sales team especially if you're you know in the b2b world um, you want to keep that customer in focus across those teams and what's really interesting is you want to organize your company around your customer's job rather than around the functions of the company and we can talk about that uh, in more detail, but really, one of the things you can think about is our software. What our software does is help keep keep teams focused on their customers. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's very good point. So, going from here, um, let's discuss and explain to our um, listeners here what's the jobs to be done method. I think this this would be the starting point, so that we can go into a couple of case studies and then talk the actual importance of having the, the teams aligned and the communications and planning different phases of you know communications and sales um, focused around the product map and journey. So jobs to be done. Yeah, it's a great question. So for those uh, who don't know what jobs to be done is, um, 
it's the core idea is actually deceptively very simple. It's that customers are actually not buying a product. You think you're selling them a product and they, they seem to be transacting and purchasing something. But what they're really doing underneath it is hiring that product to get a job done. And in today's innovation terminology, you know, thanks in large part to Clay Christensen, um, we use the term jobs to be done to explain basically a goal that a customer has that's independent of any solution. And that's really the key is that people, you know, every customer is a real human who's trying to get through their day and, you know, achieve goals. And so good examples of this are. Uh, you can look back at products that we've all used and we've all switched to new products. So for example, I'm old enough. I remember the days of records. You know, when I used to listen to music on records, I actually had eight track tapes. That was a horrible format. But, you know, we all switched from records to CDs and then we all switched from CDs to iPods and we all switched from iPods to streaming services. So why did that happen? Well, if you use traditional definitions of a market, you would say, well, there was a huge iPod market. You know, Apple sold... 200 million iPods at 150 bucks a pop. That's a $30 billion revenue opportunity. So companies also, they make this mistake all the time. They think the product is the market. And, and in fact, Microsoft made this mistake with the Zune. I don't know if you owned a Zune. Uh, you know, very few people did because it was an iPod competitor. And they thought, well, there's a $30 billion iPod market. So let's, you know... Uh, Let's make a Zoom competitor. We're Microsoft. We have a billion customers. We have an operating system we can connect it to. Everybody will buy the Zoom because they want to be on our Windows system. And of course, they sold zero Zooms. They made lost a huge amount of money in it. So what happened? Well, the customer's job is exactly the same. The job is to create a mood with music. And that job has never changed and it will never change. It's very, very stable. And that's the power of the method is that it gives you a stable target to hit, whether you're on a product marketing or sales team. And the reason that we switch to new products is because something comes along that gets the job done faster and more accurately. And you know, you can use tons of examples. Like we all knew, use Apple and Google Maps today. Uh, but I'm old enough when I used to have like a paper map in my car and you would pull it out and you'd try to figure out where you're going, right? Um, and the reason we switched these new apps, in that case, the job is to get to a destination on time. Again, it's never going to change. 100 years ago, getting to a destination on time was the same as 100 years from now. Now, what's really interesting is, sure, that's a high-level statement. But how does that help you as a product team or as a market team figure out what to do? So if you were to say, hey, we're going to help people get to the destination on time better than Apple and Google Maps, how do you figure that out? Well, that's the really hard question. And what's really interesting about the theory is that it shows that even a, a, what seems like a simple job, getting to a, a destination on time, for example, actually has over 100 different customer needs. And that is what is amazing. And the goal of every product marketing and sales team is to satisfy customer needs You know, better than con uh, competitors in the market. So... Even, even a job like get to a destination on time, you know, we break it down. We call it job steps. And you can break it down into a series of job steps. And each one of those steps has variables. And that's really the key idea is you can figure out those variables and get into a destination on time. And those things, you know, obvious, obvious things like the address, the routes to the stops, the sequence of stops you're going to, you know, where to find parking, you know, when to make turns, et cetera. All those things are variables. And what you're looking for as a product or marketing team is which one of those things does your customers currently struggle with the most? 
And that's why we switched to new project, products because we struggle to get the job done in some way. And then something comes along and it helps get the job done faster or more accurately. And that's the core of the theory. Mm-hmm. So basically deconstructing the whole thing, uh, like the job that you need to achieve, and then uh, trying to shape your unique selling point around the current sort of barriers that a customer might have in in the product that they are using at the moment. Like for example, maybe you have a um, Windows and you are not like a Windows computer and not very happy with something around it. And then you have the Mac, which is faster, easier to access stuff. I mean, more multimedia focused, et cetera, et cetera. And then you decide that to be for you because it appeals to something that you deconstructed from the main objective, which is, uh, you know, facilitating, let's say, working online or something like that. Yeah, that's right. So let me give you a great example. There's a ton of, uh, you know, Apple examples. Um, But let me give you an example of where if you were to try, if let's say you were a marketing team and you were trying to beat Apple and Google Maps, now that would be a very, very hard thing to do <laughs> because they have about a hundred percent market share and their products are free. You know, how would you even remotely come up with some marketing message and certainly even a feature in your product roadmap that would beat Apple and Google Maps? Well, in jobs we've done, the process of doing that would first be to understand the whole job of getting to a destination on time. Mm-hmm. And as I, you know, there and people can see this on our website if they want to go look at all the needs. There's 106 needs in that job, which is really amazing. And the next thing you'd want to do is say, okay, well, where is a segment of the market that struggles to get to a destination on time? And this is also where jobs theory is really, really powerful because if you do traditional profiling, you know, which a lot of marketing teams do, they'll create personas. You know, mm-hmm. there's Joe and Kate who are male and female. One's rural or urban. You know, they have high income, low income, high education, low education. You know, they create these fictional characters, mm-hmm. and those can be useful for some things. But if you're really trying to segment the market, in our example here of getting to a destination on time, to figure out who struggles. Those personas may or may not be the the reason why people struggle. It might not have anything to do with the fact that you're male or female. And and we don't have to get into the details now, but there's very quantitative ways of doing this with jobs theory. And the way that we do it is we, we look for customer struggles and we run these quantitative surveys. And then we say, okay, well, who all struggles in the same way? And it turns out, we actually have data on this market, that getting to a destination on time, one of the most underserved parts of that job is a huge segment that cannot plan their stops to stay on time. And those are the people who have to do things like determine the optimal sequence of stops. So if you're a traveling professional or a salesperson or or a rep or something, and you've got to go to customer meetings and you've got unknown locations and you've got to do that frequently, you are likely underserved in that market. So that's how we uncover unmet customer needs. And then now you can look at how are you going to message against Apple and Google? Well, first of all, what feature would you build? And in this case, you know the need is to determine the optimal sequence of stops. That's a variable in the job. It's an action a customer has to take with a variable in a job step to plan the stops. And like the job itself, it's, it's independent of any need. It doesn't mention AI or machine learning or VR or AR, <laughs> like the, the hip technologies, blockchain. Um, and, and the reason that's so important is you don't want to, if you're going to build a, a feature that might use some interesting technologies like machine learning, you build that so that it helps the customer determine the optimal sequence of stops in this example. And then you're messing 
messages would be around the functional thing the customer is trying to do, which is get to destinations on time, fast and accurately, and determine the optimal sequence of stops and the emotions that they're going to feel. So you want to take people from feeling anxiety about getting the job done to feeling confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's really important in marketing messages too. It's like, you've got to get the functional job done, but you've got to get people to believe that they're going to have this change in emotional state. Because mm-hmm. if you're a busy professional, you're trying to get to these meetings that matter to your career, you know, that's anxiety inducing. <laughs> so your messages shouldn't be, hey, we have the latest machine learning algorithms because frankly, no customer cares about machine learning algorithms. What they care about is that you help them get the job done faster and more accurately. So, you know, that that's in a nutshell the process. There's a lot there, I know, to unpack. But the basic idea is you can focus on the job, the independent customer needs um, that have nothing to do with the features and that have nothing to do with the... Uh, product, sorry, and then message to getting the job done faster and more accurately. Mm-hmm. Super. So if it's okay with you, I think it would be really cool if we could uh, talk some practical examples here also from the B2B space, because uh, many nowadays, like uh, from some of the more recent case studies that we were involved with, um, they they were around the SaaS products and software, which is a massive market in the UK, is, has been booming for a while, but not only here. Um, so what we saw was that, okay, so, I mean, the product was, was launching. This, this was happening a lot in startups when you have a new platform or you have a new software, you know, typically SaaS, and then you launch it and then you have the product team and the marketing and the sales, outbound sales, full on trying to sell, then marketing trying to build a lead generation funnel and inbound mar- the inbound marketing side of things. Um, and then the product wanting to push new features, wanting to, the sort of marketing around the product as well, which many times can be a bit different because it goes many times to customers as well as new potential customers. And in this whole process, mainly if it's a fast growing startup, uh, things can get misaligned or feedback from somewhere like sales might not come uh, or uh, arrive in due time in uh, in the product team in order to be incorporated in a product map and then you know pushed through for development and stuff like that so um it would be really interesting for the people here that might be part of such teams in such businesses uh to discuss some of the ways that maybe some of your clients with Thrive or Thrive in itself can solve these problems in this modern, highly competitive market scenario? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. And we do a lot of work with B2B companies. Um, and one of the reasons is Jobs We Done is great for markets that are very complex. One of the things you can think about the method is it helps you take complexity and make it manageable. <laughs> and B2B markets are very, very complex. So the way that we generally start this, which is super important, is who is the B2B customer? And we see this a lot, that teams, product marketing, sales team, don't really agree on who the customer is. And that's such an interesting problem to solve. And we separate customers into three different categories. The most important customer is the job beneficiary. That is the person who benefits from getting the job done. And in B2B markets, uh, you know, a lot of times it's the executive because you've got, whether it's a, you know, you're targeting CFOs or operating officers or CEOs or uh, VPs of marketing or finance or sales or whatever it is in a B2B in, in, in specific industries as well. You, you've got to figure out who benefits from getting this job done. 
right? And then you've got to figure out, of course, what is the job? What is their, what is your customer's goal? What are they trying to achieve? And the second type of customer is the job executor. And the job executor is important. It's someone, it's some human who is helping the job beneficiary get the job done. Now, let me give you some great examples because you mentioned SaaS. Um, and B2B has seen a huge change in the past 10, 20 years in the, the type of customers you would target. So before SaaS applications, what did you do as a business customer? Well, you had an IT department and you had IT managers who set up your servers. And if you were going to install Siebel as your CRM or other ERP systems, you had on-premise, on-site mm-hmm. you know, software that you would get installed. And that was a huge industry. You remember the, the big professional services firms spent... They were generating billions of dollars a year just installing... <laughs> software, right? So their customer was an IT manager. So what happened in that market? Well, the IT manager, the job executor went away because who benefits from SaaS applications? Well, you know, in CRM, it's obviously salespeople. So what do salespeople have to do today to use these SaaS applications? They go to a web page and they log in. That's it. No IT manager, no executor. And this happens in every single market. So the first thing for any B2B team is to really understand who your customer is. Because we work with a lot of companies and they're targeting job executors, which is a huge risk because someone is going to come along and create a product where the job beneficiary doesn't need a job executor to get the job done. Let me give you another example in a medical market because this seems even crazier. You've probably had your blood drawn, right? Whether it's, you know, for a physical or your, you know, health test or you need some sort of sample to diagnose you or something. And you go to a person called a phlebotomist. And a phlebotomist is, of course, a very highly trained professional who knows how to, you know, stick your arm with a needle and make sure, you know, nothing goes wrong. Um, and the job there is to obtain a blood sample. And obviously, you, as the person who's trying to optimize your health, obtaining a blood sample, you're the beneficiary, right? The phlebotomist is just executing the job. Mm-hmm. We worked with a company called Seven Sense, and they've built the device where a patient can take their own blood, which seems totally terrifying, right? I'm, I'm not a needle guy, but you know, <laughs> I understand the, the fears. <laughs> and so you stick this thing on your arm, and it's got a micro needle array, and it's almost painless. So it creates a vacuum, and it sucks blood. So even in that case, even that kind of extreme, highly trained professional job, the job executor is going to go away. And as a patient, you can draw your own blood. Uh, there's just there's so many examples. of this. So in B2B markets, first thing is figure out who the customer is. The next thing is what really is the job? What level of abstraction are you, are you focused on? Because every business exists to create equity value. You could just say the whole job domain for business is to create equity value. Now, you've got other stakeholders, of course, and, and companies are recognizing they have stakeholders, uh, including their employees and the communities they work in. Um, but the way that our system is set up in the world today, if you're CEO or board and you're not generating revenue and profitability growth, you're going to get fired, right? <laughs> That's just the way business works. Um, and, and so, you, but you have to break that down into different jobs according to the function within the company, whether it's finance, operations, sales, product, marketing, whatever, or within your specific industry. Is it, you know, um, travel and entertainment? Is it, uh, you know, aviation, manufacturing, you know, consumer packaged goods, finance, whatever. 
And within those functions in industry, there are the jobs that you should be targeting. And that's, that's the key to the start of the business to business job student journey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it just occurred to me, uh, I know we didn't discuss about this, uh, before, so it would be interesting to see some insights from here, if you can share, of course. Uh, but how did you use this when you launched Drive or through the growth of, that you guys saw? Yeah, that's great. And it's a great question. We are building Thrive on Thrive using jobs we done. <laughs> Not surprising. You know, out here in California, you know, we like to say we, we're eating our own dog food, as the saying goes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what we recognize is a few things that uh, product teams really struggle to prioritize their roadmap. You know, the product teams, companies have tons of feature ideas, whether it comes from the product team, the marketing team, or the sales team, or customer requests. You know, how do you focus? What in your product roadmap is going to lead to success? So how do you launch things that, from a product team's perspective, that your marketing team can successfully market and your sales team can sell? So that's what we looked at. We were like, okay, we have to help improve this process because most products fail. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it really is extraordinary. In today's day and age, of course, you still have this incredibly high failure rate for products. And, and it, certainly for new products, but even for new product features. And the other thing is that you know, product and marketing teams miss competitive threats all the time. People forget that BlackBerry, BlackBerry's market cap was four times Apple's. BlackBerry was four times bigger bigger than Apple when the iPhone launched. So they had a roadmap and they thought they were on a path to continued growth. And yet now they're basically worth zero today. I mean, effectively the company, you know, they're still, I think they're still a business, but they, you know, effectively lost $80 billion in market cap. So, um, so that's what we realized. We were like, how can we help teams look into their roadmap and say, we're on a path to generate revenue growth. How do you tie your roadmap to your revenue? And, that's also a big risk equation for product and marketing teams because the real dollars that get spent and put at risk are when you start developing a product and you're going to market and you're going to sell it, that's extremely expensive. So you're taking your company's capital, even if you're a startup. This is what we like to say to startups too. You should do this work before you write one line of code or engineer you know, the first thing that you're going to manufacture. You should do all this work because it's much less expensive and, and it lowers your risk dramatically to really understand your customer's job and where they struggle before you risk that capital. So when you start investing that and, you know, and this happens certainly at bigger companies too, where you're spending you know hundreds of millions, potentially billions of dollars in your roadmap. You have no visibility. Is that really going to generate revenue? BlackBerry thought it was going to. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't. So that's 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 a, like the way we like to think about it. Mm -hmm. Super. And going back to what, uh, when we were discussing about uh, the sales, marketing, and product team alignment, uh, maybe if we can, um, or if you have in mind any examples of startups that you are working working with um, that were using maybe Thrive as well as other project man management tools, uh, and how maybe either they were working with both, and that was helping them accelerate their uh, decision making and uh, processes, or whether they chose Thrive for a particular reason because, um, I mean, just for clarity here, I know that many people on the show might be using stuff like Asana and Trello and, you know, all these, you know, 
tools like uh, mainstream ones. Um, but I was curious and I wanted to uh, maybe sh shine a bit of light in terms of the differences between something like Tribe and Jobs to be Done and other project man management tools. Yeah, that's great. And and I think they're they're trying to do different things. So, and we work with companies that are working with all the different um, you know, product management and project management tool, whether it's Asana, Aha, Jira, you know, et cetera, Microsoft Team Foundation server. And the way that you can think about it is the output of jobs to be done is the input into those tools. <laughs> because uh, let's use Jira example. They're obviously, you know, kind of one of the biggest tools that people are using, or whether it's Asana. Um, you could do anything with those tools. They're kind of like a blank spreadsheet, right? You could type in, you know, whatever you want in your sprint to try and achieve, or whatever you're trying to uh, get done in a project uh, project management, you know, tool. What we do is actually the work even before that. You can think of it as sometimes it's called the very front end of innovation, is really figuring out from your customer's perspective. What are you going to build? But also, more importantly, why? Why are you going to build that? So if you have product ideas and you're putting them into these other tools, that's okay. That's great. Ideas are wonderful. Um, but sometimes we like to joke, we have no product ideas. <laughs> because what we're looking at is the problem the customer has first and foremost, even before coming up with ideas. And so that's how you can really differentiate those tools from, you know, Thrive and Jobs to be Done in general is that Jobs to be Done is saying, okay, independent of any products or solutions or technologies before you try and evaluate machine learning or AI or blockchain or whatever it is, let's figure out what the customer is struggling with. And that's really the most important decision a company can make is are they in the right market? where there are unmet needs, where customers are willing to pay for new solutions, especially for a startup, right? Because the market decision you make, and remember, we define markets from the point of view of the customer and the job they're trying to get done, not the product like the iPod. Um, and if you do that, if you pick the right market, that is half the battle, maybe even more. Um, you know, Sequoia, this is, I love this story. Uh, Don Valentine, who was the founder of Sequoia, you know, famously invested in this little company called Apple and this, um, you know, uh, kind of crazy unkept hippie named Steve Jobs. And everybody thought, oh, wow, they were such pioneers for investing in this crazy hippie who claimed, who, you know, eventually became this kind of visionary product leader and innovator. But if you listen to what Sequoia and Don Valentine had said about what they were investing in, they were investing in the market. It wasn't Steve Jobs at all. It was the fact that it, it currently, you know, when Apple launched, this is the late 1970s, you know, computers cost $25,000 to $250,000. And Steve Jobs said, hey, look, I can make this computer. It costs $2,500. And they knew that computers were really useful tools. And Don Valentine said, we were investing in that market. It just happened to be Steve Jobs was in this really incredibly important market. And that is true for every company. So those other tools are great. You know, once you've made that decision about what market and what customer and what unmanaged you're going to satisfy and what your product strategy should look like. Um, but you still need to make that decision. That's the most important decision you can make as an entrepreneur or as a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So, would, for example, Thrive uh, or the jobs to be done method, uh, <laughs> my feeling is that we can refer to either because they are, you know, doing kind of the same <laughs> thing, <laughs> which is uh, finding the 
actual job that needs to be done. So um, who'd be using it and how often in order for it to be effective? Because, uh, you know, as it happens at the innovation stage and not the implementation stage, kind of where something like Jira or Sana would come into place. Um, my feeling, but this is just from our discussion so far, is that it should be, this thing should be managed by only the management team and also not being reviewed or the decisions that are made on the basis of the insights here should not be changed on a very constant basis in order to allow, you know, sprints to happen or the implementation time to happen. So uh, what, in your opinion, would be a healthy way of applying this method into a business? Yeah, that's great. So uh, um, that, that is a really great question. So the way that we think about it is we know what's not going to change. So what doesn't change? And that is your customer's job. You know, if they're trying to, if their parents trying to get a baby sleep through night, or their consumers trying to get to a destination on time, or a cardiovascular surgeon trying to restore already blood flow, or if your sales team trying to acquire customers, you know, whatever the job is, that is not going to change. And uh, figuring out which segment in that market is underserved is incredibly important as well. Um, and the products and services will change. So some of that. Uh, the unmet needs will get satisfied so that might change. But when you have that stability in what you're focused on, that's how you can coordinate your product strategy across your product marketing and sales team. So the way that we think about it is you actually should have everybody from your product marketing and sales team because those teams are customer focused. They, they sh If they're not you're in big trouble. <laughs> they should be customer focused. I mean, your operations team can make your operations more efficient and cut your costs. Your finance team has to deal with your finance. But your product marketing sales team are your customer focused teams. That means that they, everybody across those organizations should one, agree on who your customer is, what their job is, what are the unmet needs, what segment are you targeting? And that creates your product strategy. So... It's interesting. If you walk around companies, we do this all the time. Really. Everybody agrees that product marketing sales teams, that the mission is to satisfy unmet customer needs better than competitors. And people say, yes, of course, that's our business. That's why we're in business. And then we ask, you know, well, what is a customer need? And no one agrees on that. <laughs> so that's a huge problem. So that's why we want to bring these three teams together because everybody should agree on that. And then the next thing we ask is, uh, you need to have a good product strategy, right? To in order to build market and sell your products. And they'll say, yes, yes, we need great product strategy. And then we ask, okay, what is your product strategy? And teams, they don't even agree on what their product strategy is. They can't simply articulate their product strategy. So everybody at your company on the customer-facing teams should be able to say what a customer need is, what customer needs you're targeting, and what your product strategy is. And that's why... And, and that's a very hard thing to do. I'm not trying to be flippant about this. That is very, very difficult. And that's, you know, that's why we started Thrive. So to help teams through this process of agreeing on it. So whatever's changing on your product side, uh, and it will change because there's new technology, you want to constantly be launching features. That's the whole idea of a roadmap is that you're going to do things in the short and medium and long term that focus on your customer. But you still, you really want to understand and empathize with your customer. And that's very difficult to do because customer problems are very complex. You know, like I mentioned with getting to a destination on time, there's 106 needs. So you've got to constantly be going back to that 
data. When you're making this downstream decisions, whether you're an engineer, you know, making trade-off decisions on the feature requirements, or whether you're a marketing uh, team member who's making uh, analysis of your competitors' messaging, or trying to figure out your messaging, or why aren't you generating as many leads as you should be? Or you're a sales team, and um, we do a lot of sales team training, where we're trying to get the sales team not to s- just sell their features and their product, but first to empathize with where that customer is struggling, so that then when they tell the customer, here's how we can solve your problems, that's a much more believable story because they understand the jobs and the unmet needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, tricky question. Uh, how do you feel about this uh, past year? Because from what we saw from the marketing front, but I bet it's the same in sales and product as well, and I, like in almost every business, uh, the needs of the customers have maybe not changed. Exactly, but surely being alterated in a way or another. So um, m- most likely using something like this would, uh, on a constant basis as we progress through the pandemic, would have been a very good uh, health check in order to see whether what we are promoting is still you know, the value proposition that the customers are looking for. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, what a crazy year, huh? <laughs> um, so... Um, we we've talked about this a bunch actually what's really interesting is of course there's some situations where you just need um insurance you need government help and the, you know part of the role of government is is to be a big insurance provider and if you're you know if you're a retail restaurant you just got shut down i mean that's just really hard to deal with that or if you're a b2b provider who's trying to sell to restaurants obviously you just you've been hit by an extraordinary event that hopefully won't happen again anytime soon. Um, but then if you look at the jobs that, especially in B2B markets, that um, that businesses still need to get done, what happened was uh, the jobs are actually exactly the same. But we saw a huge shift in platforms in the way people get the job done. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me give you a very, very concrete example because we're sitting here on a Zoom call today. And we've talked about, we talked about this even before the pandemic, um, which is who actually is your competitor in a B2B market? And we would use Zoom and United Airlines as an example. And people would say, oh, those are two, two totally different industries. There's web conferencing industry and then there's airlines. Those are just completely different products, different technologies. They, they seem nothing alike. How could they possibly be competitors? Well, if you use jobs theory, you can look at that and say, well, they're both helping salespeople acquire customers. So acquiring customers is a job to be done, of course. It's a B2B job to be done. And there's lots of different solutions to do it. And two of those different platforms to acquire customers... One is an airline in airports. So you use that platform, you hop on a plane to go toss to customers. The other is web conferencing, video conferencing. And we were saying even before the pandemic, when, when, you know, Zoom used to be worth its market cap used to be kind of equivalent to the airlines, even though it, it had much smaller revenue, it was still, you know, the potential growth. And we would say airlines should be buying these web conferencing companies. And the reason is that some of their most valuable customers are salespeople who pay you know, full fare to get on a flight at last minute to go close the deal, talk to a customer. And if the airlines lose those customers because now salespeople can get the job done by using Zoom, then they're in real trouble. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question about this last year, what I think happened 
was it accelerated trends that were already there in some markets. Now, some markets just need to be helped, like you know, restaurants and you know, retailers, and small businesses, etc. But in other cases, the it accelerated the trends. And I would I'd make a prediction. I don't really like to make too many predictions, but I would predict that um, for enterprise sales, you're never going to get back to the uh, percentage of salespeople get on play, planes to close deals as you had pre-pandemic. It's just never coming back because people recognize that Zoom is a very good way. It's more efficient. You know, it's not as taxing on your body. You know, we've all probably traveled a lot, you know, where you're in different time zones and people really want to get back to their kids and see their family and instead of spending time away. So I think there's so many benefits to that kind of accelerated change. Now, the airlines don't like it because they're going to lose very valuable customers. But if you look at it, it's just a, it's the, it's the exact same reason that we switched from records to iPods to streaming services. If the solution can get the job done faster and more accurately, people will adopt it. Customers will adopt it. And I, so I think the pandemic just accelerated that change that was already happening. Mm-hmm. Super. Thanks a lot. Um, yes, I uh, I agree with that. Uh, I think it's all it also left room for because you are coming from that spot innovation, uh, and it's all it's always the case, you know, in uh, times like this. Although uh, personally, I haven't lived too many uh, yet, <laughs> but uh, I I, <laughs> I know uh, I know historically uh, this is how it happened. Um, so let's see what this year brings, I guess. Um, but until next time, what I wanted to ask you while we have people still here on the show is who are your um, ideal customers for Thrive? Maybe there's uh, a couple of you know businesses here that could use this and I'm sure you spike the interest of many. Um, and I know for a fact that this is one thing that would bring a lot of value into multiple startups that we work with where we had to actually... Um, support in identifying something that should have already been there very clear, which is, you know, the unique selling point, the end customer, what are we selling? And this um, very important bit that we discussed about, which is what's the actual job that gets done by using the software product, etc. So who who is the user of Drive? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it is. We do have customers. Anybody uh, that are tiny startups, all the way to you know Fortune fifty companies, um, and we would say the ideal customer is uh, just broadly teams who really want to be customer focused. And you know, there's different, and in, in, especially in startups, there's different types of entrepreneurs. Some are just you know really uh, focused on technology, which is fine. Some are have the problem themselves. You know, I think those are probably the best entrepreneurs. They're so frustrated with something they start a company to solve a problem that they have. Um, and that's effectively a way of doing jobs we done, right? You know how to, you're so frustrated with the job yourself that you're going to start a company to solve the problem. Um, so broadly, it's uh, teams, product marketing, sales teams that really want to be customer focused. And I will also say that, that um, the companies and teams that we work with usually find themselves in some sort of situation. And those situations generally are they they're struggling to succeed. So they haven't hit their revenue numbers. They really projected, you know, some sort of revenue numbers is not coming to fruition. Or they've got a competitor who's entering the market. They can't really figure out their competitor. Uh, or they're really trying to solve 
the what's you know in the startup world it's what's known as product market fit right mm-hmm. they haven't really gotten that together they keep launching features and they keep thinking that the next phase is you know going to be their growth phase and it just doesn't turn into growth and that's such an interesting question you know, we could probably do a whole other show on product market fit. Uh, but what does that mean? And, and how do you solve that problem? And we really, we, uh, I mean, we work with a broad range of companies. We like working with startups too, because we want them to succeed. And if you look, the odds are stacked against any startup. And if you look at venture returns, right, almost every startup fails. In fact, the entire venture industry, um, Bill Salman from Harvard Business School published data on this, that if if you didn't have the outside returns of you know the Googles and Twitters and Facebooks of the world, um, the entire venture asset class wouldn't be worth investing in. You'd be better off in investing in the S and P five hundred. And for a lot of venture funds, you know, you would be because they don't have great returns. Uh, and from an entrepreneur standpoint, that's really disheartening because your chance of succeeding at a startup is almost zero. I mean, the, the number of six startups that succeed is incredibly small. And so the odds are kind of stacked against you. And we really like helping those entrepreneurs who want to succeed and not just fail fast and pivot, right? I mean, those are kind of terms that startups hear all the time is you should fail fast and you should pivot. And you should get your minimum viable product out the door. I think those terms and that, that thinking leads entrepreneurs astray. And the reason why is... You want to reduce your risk of failure. You don't want to keep failing. And you don't even want to launch a minimum viable product. I think that is the wrong phrase. You should launch a minimum valuable product because your product has to be valuable to customers. Viability is not a criteria these days. You and I could sit here and write some software code and fire up some Amazon servers and we'd have an app or a piece of software. It'd be viable. We could absolutely... It's not hard to create technology these days. We could even manufacture something pretty easily. So both in software and hardware, it's pretty easy to do that. Something can be viable. It will work. But is it valuable? Was any customer going to care that it gets some job done for them? And that is what you should look at is that viability, not viability, but the value you're delivering even before you invest in development. So those are generally the teams that um, you know we work with where they really want to solve these problems. They want to be customer focused and they've got some sort of situation where they, they want to do a better job. Mm-hmm. Very insightful and very true as well. So you guys, uh, <laughs> you, you must know that Jay also has a history of successful investments as well as, you know, being a successful entrepreneur. So I think this was also a bit of the investor uh, talking, you know, <laughs> but uh, very good advice indeed. Okay. So um, for you guys uh, interested in uh, Thrive and Jay's um Ventures. Uh, we'll have all the links in the description of the episode below. Jay, if people want to connect maybe uh, personally with you or discuss uh, potential partnerships and things like this, um, where's best for them to reach out to you? Yeah, great. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Jay Haynes, J-A-Y-H-A-Y-N-E-S. You can find me on LinkedIn or certainly through Thrive at thrv.com. Super. Sounds good. Um, okay. So guys, as always, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Hopefully you found uh, this episode as insightful and useful as I did. Uh, and Jay, thank you so much again for being on the show. Really nice to meet you. And hopefully we'll repeat this. I, I really like your point on uh, product market fit. I think we didn't have the chance yet to explore that in depth on the show. So maybe we can uh, talk about the next episode. 
Um, and guys, as well, guys, as well, if you have any questions for us, like for Jay and I, or you'd like us to discuss on something more specifically and you feel that would be valuable for your business, uh, hit us up, either us at hello at marketu.com or uh, Jay, and uh, we'll, we'll try to make that happen. But until next time, Jay, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Um, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being here. Uh, and guys, as always, keep rocking it and we'll see you on the next episode. Have fun.